Welcome, podcast listeners. We have a fantastic episode for you today. Last year, when we published The Best Investment Writing, Volume 2, we offered authors the opportunity to record an audio version of their chapter to be released as a segment of the podcast. And listeners loved it. This year, we're bringing you the entire volume of The Best Investment Writing, Volume 3, in podcast format. You'll hear from some of the most respected money managers and investment researchers all over the world. Enough from me. Let's get to our guests and let them take over this special episode. Hi, this is Fraser Rice. I'm the author of Wealth Actually. I focus on intergenerational wealth transfer issues and family offices. I can be easily reached at FraserRice.com and WealthActually.com. I'll be reading an abridged version of Chapter 2 of Wealth Actually, This focuses on the communication issues around wealth and the next generation. I hope you enjoy it. When is the best time to communicate your plans around your wealth? Good communication is the foundation for a good organization. And as unromantic as it sounds, a family is an organization. When communication is poor or non-existent, it ultimately leads to mistakes, distrust, and pain. However, when it comes to communicating your wealth planning to your loved ones, there are appropriate times and stages for people to receive the information. Telling a child too early can affect their ability to develop a strong work ethic or create future self-esteem issues. If you tell your son that he's worth $30 million when he's only 16 years old, he may not have the ability to process or manage the information the way an adult could. When it comes to the goal of developing productive and motivated children, I'm not against parents who decide to withhold information until they feel their child is ready for it. However, ready is a subjective label. The parents will have to decide when their children have the ability, maturity, and mindset to take that information and use it productively. For most families, my preference is to withhold this information from children until they are out of high school or college. There are some high school or college kids who can handle that kind of information, but most can't. Many college students are dealing with their own challenges in personal development and identity. They're figuring out what they've been put on the earth to do and exploring what they're good at. Adding money and potential entitlement and self-esteem issues to the mix only confuses the issue. As a prerequisite to communicating with their children about their wealth, it's common for my clients to want their child to demonstrate the ability and desire to row their own boat. Rowing your own boat can mean different things to different people, but it generally means having the ability to be financially independent, understanding the value of a dollar, and having the motivation to make their own way in life. When any or all of those ideals are achieved, It's often a good time to begin explaining the resources available for the current and future benefit, which can allow the child to use these resources in the planning of their own lives. In many trust structures, wealth is distributed regularly at certain ages. It could be one sizable distribution every 10 years, starting at the age of 25. This distribution schedule won't diagnose someone's readiness for the wealth, but it tends to align well with future life milestones. At 25 years old, hopefully the recipient is out of college or finishing up grad school, and a distribution can help them land on their feet. At 35, the odds are that they'll be married and have families. At 45, their families may still be growing, or the oldest children might be heading to college. Regular distributions can ensure resources are there for children throughout their lifetime. But what if your child is the next Elon Musk and needs $500,000 at the age of 20 to start the next Tesla? Do you want the once-a-decade distribution structure to hinder their access to resources? There are ways to get around that issue and structure wealth accordingly if the flexibility is important to you. Defining your goals for your children will lead you to the best structure for distributing wealth. 
In defining financial goals for children and determining when to communicate your message about wealth, it's important to consider each child's maturity level and the unique issues affecting their ability to manage themselves and their wealth. If they're not ready, their motivation level or self-esteem could be in serious jeopardy and a sense of entitlement will take root. Worse yet, from a financial standpoint, those kids could develop extreme spending habits and be governed by a structure that they don't understand or, ironically, trust. I find that it's good for children to have an appreciation for how the wealth was created. People become worse public citizens when there's no connection with the wealth that's been generated and no sense of the history of their family's success. Many of my clients take great pains to educate their kids about the family's legacy, where the money came from, and who currently works to manage the wealth. An appreciation is gained for the family members who manage and drive the wealth, as well as the employees who work hard to keep the family trusts healthy and funded. There is no perfect scenario, because every family will have members who make mistakes. However, when everyone in the family has a baseline level of respect for where the wealth came from, it helps them become more involved as family members as well as public citizens within their own communities. What if the children aren't interested? What if you have a solid plan and well-timed communication, but upon presenting it to your family, the kids are more interested in their iPhones? Perhaps one is trying to become the next Wayne Gretzky in the hockey world, and another wants to become a social worker. They're not concerned about the family's legacy, where the wealth came from, or managing it. That's okay. Kids will be kids. I wouldn't lose hope in the education process. Interest in the legacy will come when it comes. Keep the door open and continue communicating around your legacy plan and goals, because you never know when it will click with your children later in life. Maybe it will be a change in jobs, a recent engagement, or the birth of a child that triggers the interest. Patience is a big part of communication. The recipient isn't always ready to receive the message, even if you're ready to send it. With patience, your family will end up in the right place, even if it doesn't go according to your original plan and schedule. Patience will be a key part of conveying a legacy because it will also be a big part of creating a culture around the wealth that lasts over generations. Ongoing patient communication enables your children to go out into the world, find themselves, and experience life in their own personal journey. They can come back into the fold with the benefits of wisdom and life experience and decide, of their own accord, to contribute to the larger family legacy that you've been developing and enjoying over time. It's most useful to have family wealth conversations when everybody is in the same room. If you tell inconsistent stories to two different family members, it's going to create conflict and undermine the goal of good long-term communication. I've seen wealthy families use a third-party advisor to lead these family-wide discussions. It makes sense to have an experienced expert in the room to answer questions and address common issues that arise during a family's conversations around wealth. This is valuable because it's difficult for anyone in your family to be the expert at conducting the conversation and fully understand how you will achieve the goals. Perhaps more importantly, if the message comes from a third party, it isn't a message that's been dictated from above. The family values can and should come from the top, but not the full planning and communication around the strategies and tactics. When a third-party advisor is in charge of facilitating the conversation and answering questions, it removes internal family pressures and promotes healthy questioning and communication. Usually, everyone in the room will learn something. Having a third party in the gathering to moderate the family's communication and manage the proceedings allows the family to observe the strengths and weaknesses of each family member, understand the values held by each person, and to ultimately learn something from one another. This creates a higher level of initial buy-in and will lessen future conflict. Family members will have an understanding of how the wealth was structured and distributed and why it was done that way. An entire cottage industry has popped up around this service, 
It is common with most major financial institutions and most sophisticated wealth advisors and attorneys to have access to this expertise. Some families may need only a few initial sessions to discuss their planning, with the family able to exercise the discipline and organization to handle the maintenance of the culture from there. Others run it like a business with the help of outside advisors and schedule ongoing quarterly or annual meetings. Either way, a third-party facilitator can provide significant value in the communication of legacy wealth plans. Who are my happiest clients? The happiest people I've worked with do not place their self-esteem in what the numbers in their checking accounts say. Instead, they focus on enjoying their experiences as well as impacting the people and communities they care about. I've seen some patently unhappy billionaires who, despite having unlimited resources, seem to flail around in life with little purpose. The happiest people, on the other hand, have clarified their goals and are focused on enjoyable experiences and impactful legacies. They take the time to enjoy themselves, help others, and be global citizens. A person's unique personal beliefs and goals can also drive their strategies around philanthropy and taxes. How much of your wealth would you like to give to your family and your philanthropic interests, and how much would you like to give to the government? A common illustration shows that if you pass away with no type of tax planning, once your wealth creeps over the federal estate tax exemption, you can simply divide your wealth in half. One half of your post-exemption wealth will go to the government, and the other half will go to your family. Alternatively, other examples show that with charitable planning, the tax bite can be minimized substantially in favor of charitable causes that are important to you. That said, trying to minimize taxes further can be more trouble than it's worth. I've seen plenty of unnecessary wreckage caused by people trying to play reindeer games with taxes. Certainly, we should have the right to structure our finances to avoid the unnecessary payment of taxes, but being extremely aggressive in tax avoidance structures can be expensive and annoying for future generations. The administration of aggressive planning can be burdensome, and if changes need to be made in the future, they will be costly and complicated to unwind. People who go through the exercise of clarifying their goals often find they have enough wealth to accomplish their goals without needing to push the needle on tax avoidance. It's perfectly normal to cut out wide swaths of taxes, but at a certain point, administrative complexity causes diminishing returns. If you're advised to set up an array of legal structures that provide marginal tax benefits, or cost more in administration than the tax benefit, then you're likely just paying for the accountant's speedboat or the lawyer's Camaro. Getting the wealth prepared for the family. There are two prisms of wealth planning and management. The first is the focus on building, protecting, structuring, and distributing your wealth. After defining your goals for your current wealth and legacy wealth, you'll then look at the technical aspects of accomplishing these goals. First, are the assets sufficiently placed? For example, if you decide to have trust funds set up for your grandkids' benefit, then you'll likely want long-term growth assets inside those trusts, compared to assets needed for current income. On the other hand, if you have a fund set up to provide the down payment for a house in five years, you'll want that investment to be less risky and more liquid. When you're ready to close on the house, you don't want to wake up to a 30% decline in the stock market and have to show up at the closing saying, I'm sorry. Next comes the determination of the best structures to maximize the delivery of wealth to your family focusing heavily on tax considerations and investment goals. If there is a good understanding of the legacy goals and the values behind your plan, and you have input and buy-in from the beneficiaries, it will help the process of getting the wealth into the best structure. From there, you need to decide how future generations will access the wealth without abusing it. Which leads us to getting their family ready for the wealth. We've seen that it's possible for small fortunes to become big fortunes and then get squandered back to small fortunes in three generations or less. Lack of communication can be one of the main drivers of this shirt-sleeves-to-shirt-sleeves phenomenon. Family members rarely do a great job of making decisions together when communication is poor or non-existent. Siblings may fight if they don't understand 
how the estate was divided, and why it was done that way. It's valuable to have a dialogue with your kids about why and how the estate will be divided. It's also valuable to the third generation to have communication and interplay with the first and second generation, as it helps in transmitting your values and discussion points. The impact of not working together can be particularly harsh as each generation develops its own identity. Take the example of three siblings who inherit equal amounts of wealth. One is single, one is married with eight children, and one is married with two children. Those three beneficiaries will likely have different dynamics in how they spend their money. From an investment standpoint, the assets should be allocated according to the different needs of those three situations. What's the impact of not working together? By not communicating well and sharing experiences, the siblings will lose the benefits of collaboration and scale. They'll lose the benefits of brainstorming solutions to problems and the benefits of understanding the different perspectives and needs of different family members. Finally, they'll lose the mutual understanding of how and where the wealth is generated and the shared sense of family values in managing that wealth. Establishing solid communication now will help the beneficiaries be more analytical and confident in their future decisions regarding the wealth. Additionally, if there is a family-wide understanding of what constitutes fair access to the wealth, there shouldn't be any surprises or hurt feelings between siblings in the future, or at least they'll be minimized. They'll remember the values behind the decision-making process and understand why tough decisions were made to maintain those values and reach goals in the future. It will create a support network within the family and prevent shortcomings and disagreements. That's a great situation for a family to be in now and in the future as the family grows and new members are brought into the fold. What is the importance of values in growing that wealth? A healthy level of communication around your goals and values can also help in growing the wealth. To combat the shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves phenomenon, growing the wealth is necessary. There should be an understanding that resources are finite. While resources may be bountiful for the first and second generation, the third generation grows and the number of mouths to feed, house, educate, and entertain increases geometrically. The family must understand how to grow the wealth to keep up with that increase in spending. In the second and third generation of wealth, each person will have different interests. Not everyone will be entrepreneurial or financially motivated, but success may come in different forms. One may choose to be a social worker and advance the human condition through their work. If that's a respected family value, and I think it should be, it should be equally valid in endeavor as being a venture capitalist even if it doesn't generate more financial wealth for the family. Again, conflicts here will be mitigated by a clear understanding of the values behind the legacy wealth and a clear understanding of what needs to happen for the wealth to be maintained and grown. Understanding Strengths and Weaknesses Similar to a coach understanding the strengths and weaknesses of each player on a team and building a game plan around them, there's a benefit to understanding the strengths and weaknesses of each beneficiary involved in future decision making. If your son is terrific with numbers and interested in investments, and your daughter is empathetic and empowered with communication skills, there's an advantage to understanding how those two skill sets can work together and lead to a better outcome than if each one is managing the wealth decisions independently. The son, who is numerically talented, may not be sufficiently empathetic toward the siblings affected by the wealth, and the sister could help greatly in the facilitation of communication and agreeable decision-making. While the empathetic person may understand everyone's feelings and needs and how to distribute the wealth accordingly, they run the risk of spending the wealth too quickly. That's where the expertise of the financially savvy person can be tapped, and the two different strengths can be combined and used for the collective benefit of the entire family. How does one think about structuring teamwork? 
To prevent family conflict and poor decision-making, it's important to have a structure around your wealth discussions and decisions. Whether it's a quarterly or annual meeting, it's good to revisit issues, learn from others' experiences, and communicate regularly. This necessitates a procedural and organized approach to decision-making and gently forces the heirs to communicate with each other. It may not always be a fun meeting, but it will accomplish a greater good in maintaining wealth if each participant feels heard and understood. Regular meetings also provide the opportunity for learning. To earn and retain buy-in from all constituencies involved, everyone needs to understand the decisions being made around the wealth. This will help to build a sense of community toward problem-solving in the future. The famous boxer Mike Tyson once said that everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. When that punch in the face comes, and it will come, that sense of community and family-wide buy-in will be critically valuable. Stressful challenges may not emerge until the death of the first generation or until there's a significant change in the family's financial situation. Maybe the family business tanks, booms, or is acquired. Prior work and prior communication will bear fruit in those challenging situations. It helps when everyone is able to access the same toolbox of knowledge in the management of wealth. This allows for more efficient administration and understanding when it's time to make decisions. In making group decisions, You'll be seeking a consensus among people, while from the same family, may have different opinions based on different experiences in life and work. When a high level of financial understanding is shared by all participants, their differing experiences and opinions can be used to make better decisions, instead of becoming as unproductive as sheep ramming their heads against each other. It's difficult to have a conversation regarding wealth decisions if some of the participants don't know the difference between stocks and bonds or don't understand why it's not prudent to invest half of the family wealth in one volatile penny stock. A lack of shared financial knowledge can lead to unproductive debates with comments such as, I heard from a friend at a cocktail party that we should be buying pork bellies or we should put half of our assets into Bitcoin. If it's not possible to get everyone up to the same level of education or even get everyone in the same room, it's a good idea to ensure that someone in the room represents the interests of those family members who are not up to the same speed. When everyone is represented, the differing opinions of family members can be productively used in decision-making as opposed to becoming counterproductive obstacles. Some parting thoughts. Oscar Wilde once remarked that anyone who lives within their means suffers from a lack of imagination. While it's fun to have characters and outsized personalities in your family, you can really set yourself up for problems if future generations develop a caviar taste far too early in life. You'll need to set up fail-safes to ensure spending stays under control and help protect future generations from external threats to wealth. Financial predators, divorces, and other external events can change someone's balance sheet quickly and permanently. You can't save all the puppies in the pound, However, you can try to avoid general mistakes while also building a structure that won't detract from your family's ability to enjoy the wealth you've created. You'll have weathered the hurricane, will be able to enjoy the future, and can continue using your resources to build your legacy. (laughs) 